And this episode of Juice Guru Radio is brought to you by TriBest, making healthy living easy. And our membership site, the Juice Guru Rewind at JuiceGuruRewind.com. Well, welcome. Welcome to Juice Guru Radio. Discover what the magic and power of juicing can do for you. And now, your host, best-selling author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Juice Fasting, Steve Prusak. Hello and welcome to another edition of Juice Guru Radio. I'm your host, Steve. Today we've got Timber Hawkeye, the best-selling author of Buddhist Boot Camp and Faithfully Religionless. He offers a secular and non-sectarian approach to being at peace with the world, both within and all around us, with the intention to awaken, enlighten, enrich, and inspire. He's phenomenal. He's here on the show. Let's welcome Timber Hawkeye. Aloha, everybody, and thank you, Steve, for having me. Timber, thanks for being here. There's been a lot of talk in the community, a lot of excitement about the work you're doing. So thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to be here. It's my pleasure. Well, why don't you take us back? Because, I mean, I know you've got lots of adventures and you've been traveling a lot. Can you tell us how you got into the work you're doing and spreading the message? It started out as simply sharing my journal entries and my letters to friends with the world. Um, But a a friend of mine told me that she thinks a a lot of other people could benefit from reading them. And so I shared eight years worth of letters to friends online and that that blog became a book and the book became a tour and (laughs) the tour, it just snowballed on its own. I had no idea I never sat down to write the book thinking, oh, I'm going to be an author. That, that never even crossed my mind. All I did was take a kind of inventory of my own life to figure out how am I contributing to my own suffering? Like, what am I doing that is not in line with the kind of life I want to lead? Like, how am I driving myself in the wrong direction? And I realized that I was working way too much. My focus was way too much on appearances and money and image and and yet what brought me the most joy is when I dropped all of that when I was just in my board shorts and tank top and on the beach playing volleyball and living a simple life completely unconcerned with the judgment of others which immediately made me less judgmental of others as well it was a very interesting thing that by working on this I was able to let go of so much so I left the corporate world, sold everything I ever owned, and initially moved to Hawaii with just one intention, which was to live a simple and uncomplicated life. And it became this ongoing journey as opposed to a decision you make one time, like cleaning out your junk drawer in the kitchen. You clean it out once, but that doesn't mean it's, it's forever good. That means that a week later, you go through it and you go, why did I decide to keep this? And you get rid of it again and again. And and yeah, that's, I'm talking about tangible things, but when you're doing the work internally, you can take inventory of old belief systems that you have, judgments, opinions, anything that's holding you back from being the version of yourself you believe yourself to be. So it just snowballed. And before I knew it, that simple and uncomplicated life transitioned from playing beach volleyball to living in a Buddhist monastery. So that's kind of what the journey has been about is into the monastery and then back out to share what I've learned um, with people who are perhaps too busy or less inclined to go into the monastery, but are still interested in what there is to learn from there. And And I do think that what we learn in there is not only applicable if you're tucked away in the mountain somewhere, that the real key, the real issue, the real challenge is, can I remain peaceful, calm, and patient 
in the middle of downtown Los Angeles, uh, Times Square, you know, with four kids? Can I do that? Not just when no one's pushing my buttons, but can I get to a place where I don't have any buttons that can be pushed? I know part of your journey has been noticing the suffering in others, and you talk about suffering and why we suffer and what the lesson is in that. What can we learn about suffering and why is there so much going on now? Well, all of the Buddha's teachings can be encapsulated into a very simple, uh, pain is inevitable, suffering is optional. And that one invitation, everything else in, in Buddhist scripture is really extrapolates on that one concept. Like if pain is inevitable and suffering is optional, why do we opt to suffer? Where, where are we contributing? Where do we go from, from the pain, which is inevitable? We're all going to get old. We're all going to get sick. We're all going to die. And that's fine. But what's not fine is that we try to avoid the very things that are inevitable and thereby creating our own suffering. When we resist getting old, when we resist aging, when we resist death, we are trying to cling to something that we can't cling to. It's like trying to take a cloud and put it in a jar. We can't do that. And by the attempt itself creates suffering. So at the core of Buddhist teachings is the invitation to let go, which, which doesn't mean to give up. It's to, to loosen our grip, to, to allow, to observe, instead of to get so attached, if that makes any sense. It's almost like living in fear, isn't it? Well, we have two options. Um, we can live in fear because every, everything we think and feel and, and act upon either stems from a place of love or it stems from a place of fear. And it's up to us to, in the moment, kind of take inventory again and observe our behavior, our thoughts, our beliefs, our opinions, our actions, and go, where is this coming from? Is this a fear-based thought or is this love-based? And we can take everything that we feel, anger or or jealousy, or any of the feelings, and they're all valid, and they're all fine, um, and we can just kind of simmer them down, like um, reduction, if you've ever done like a balsamic reduction, you just keep it on a simmer, um, just really, really, really low, and after a while, all you've got left is that reduction, is that syrup, and I think our feelings, and our opinions, and our emotions are very much can be reduced into either love or fear, and once we're aware of that, then we kind of are equipped with a rudder of sort and we can go through life and we can go, oh, I have an option. I can choose love or I can choose fear. And if we make a commitment to only make love-based decisions in our lives, then we are guiding ourselves toward the life we want and away from the life we don't want. But if we let fear rule us, we're in a sense relinquishing control. We're like, I'm going to be affected by everything that happens around me as opposed to I'm going to stay calm regardless of what happens around me. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. And when, when you talked about the letting go and when you mm -hmm. just, you, you quit the job and you let go of the, the need to compare yourself, the need to, you know, present in this certain way. And that goes on. I mean, we're here on Facebook right now and people might look at other feeds and well, their life, they're doing this and subconsciously there's a lot of that going on. How do we escape that and let go of the need to compare and, um, and all the jealousy and all that that goes on too? I think changing our language around it is a really good um, place to start. It's not a need um, at all. It's, it's an addiction, if nothing else. It is a, it's a habitual tendency. And, and that's all we essentially are is a pattern of behavior. We've developed a pattern of comparing ourselves. We've developed a pattern of judging other people and, it's just a, a pattern of behavior that we've created. And that's actually very empowering because that means if we created that pattern, 
we can create a new pattern. And um, in the book, I compare it to taking a piece of paper and folding it in half. Um, and by doing that, you create a crease. So the next time you want to fold the paper in half, it's going to want to fold in the exact same spot. Um, and the more often you have folded it in that place, the deeper the crease, the more likely it is you are to follow that path. So creating a new crease is possible, but it takes more deliberate intention. Um, you know, just like with a piece of paper, if you just mindlessly fold it, it's going to fold in the crease that's already there. But if you slow down, if you bring awareness and you go, I want to fold it exactly in half, or I want to fold it here, you have to be more deliberate about it, more intentional, and then you can create a new crease. The old one will always be there. Um, I think of it like a scar. I think of it as a reminder of where I've been, but it has absolutely nothing to do with where I'm going. So letting go of those words in our vocabulary that we use so regularly that victimize us, like, oh, I have to do things this way, or I can't help it, or that's just the way I am. Those are all victim mentality. I'm set in my ways. I'm stuck. This is how I am. I can't change. Um, it's not my fault. All these reasons not to stop and say, I'm the one responsible. Like, I'm behind the wheel here and I can steer myself where I want to go. I don't have to fall victim to what society tells me, what my family tells me, what the person I am yesterday tells me. But right now, right in this moment, I can make a new decision that will completely change the direction of my life. But it's up to me. And the tricky part is I have to want that more than I want what I'm already used to and comfortable with, if that makes sense. Do you, do you find some of those old patterns or conditioned behaviors that maybe came from when you were five years old and just some of those behaviors that might still come out? Despite you've done all this work, do you find that sometimes they'll surface and do you become more aware in the moment or how do you work to change some things that, you know, you know came from somewhere else, some other conditioned pattern? Oh, yeah. I mean, and we can all do that. We can all look at some of our behavior and go, why am I afraid of spiders? Like, when did that start? Oh, because I watched my mother respond to a spider a certain way. And I learned from a very early age that habitually, like, that's how you respond when you see a spider. And that becomes the new norm. And then one day you, you're watching TV or you see a friend who just takes up the spider and holds it in their hand. And you're like, what are you doing? You know, and, and you start thinking that different is wrong and you start judging anything that's not like you as wrong as opposed to just another way. Like, um, we've all, when you date someone and, and you're about to do laundry and maybe for 40 years, you've always put the soap first and then the clothes and then you're dating someone and you watch them put the clothes and then the soap and you're so inclined to tell them, stop, you're doing it wrong, but they're not doing it wrong. Different isn't wrong. And I think that the danger of keeping ourselves surrounded with quote unquote like-minded people is that we're not exposed to a different way of living, a different way of being, a different way of seeing the world. We, we're only affirmed that we are right and anyone who <laughs> believes something different is wrong. So yes, every once in a while, uh, like an old condition, an old thought, something that was taught to me at an early age comes up in my mind and I my response is laughter. I just laugh at myself. Go, look at you trying to judge those people, you know? And I laugh at myself very um, lightheartedly because I'm, I'm human. This, this is this, the human condition, but I'm not a victim of that. I can just observe it and go, well, that's interesting. Um, I don't behave like that anymore, but it's, 
a good friend of mine said uh, when I first met him, he's like, I don't like beans. And I'm like, what? Like, that's such a huge part of my diet. Like, I make black bean hummus and I, I do the kidney beans and the salads. And there's just so many, there's green beans and there's uh, such one green. There's just so, uh, like, garbanzo. Uh, like, how do you not? And, and it's because he, he had one single or a couple of different experiences with beans that kind of made his decision that I don't like beans. Well, I've exposed him to a whole lot of different array of, of foods and whatnot with beans. And he's like, I actually really like this. And yet, when he sees beans on the menu or someone says the word beans, his initial response is, oh, I'm probably not going to like it. He has to remind himself, oh, wait a minute, that's an old thought. <laughs> like, now it's, can I, maybe I should try this. So, yes, those, like I said, the crease, like those old creases will always be there, um, just like a scar. But it doesn't mean that if you hurt yourself when you reach for the fire and you got burnt, you have a scar where you burned that you avoid the fire altogether. It means that there was a lesson to learn. Um, you may not leave your hand in there for as long or get as, as close, but doesn't, it's not so black and white. I don't know how else to explain it. There's no, that was great. And okay. you know, mindfulness is, is the thing here, you know, and you're living in a state of mindfulness and what are some of the tools? I mean, are you meditating? What are some of the things you recommend to your students about how we can be more mindful? Uh, I would never call them students because I would never refer to myself as a teacher, but uh, the opposite of mindfulness is mindlessness. And so by bringing awareness to the fact that if I'm not doing something mindfully, then I'm probably doing it mindlessly. Uh, that is enough for me to go, wait a minute, maybe I need to bring some little more attention to this. And, mm. and mindfulness, it, what it invites us to do is to take into consideration the ripple effect of all of our decisions that everything we think, say, and do has a ripple effect, that it affects not just people around us, but our own lives as well, that there's, it's not just instant gratification, which, again, the media and everything else is so focused on, like, get what you want when you want it right now. And the invitation of mindfulness is, you know, you said, what, what, what are you? So meditation, many people come to me and they say, I've tried meditating, I can't do it, or I'm doing it wrong. And the only reason we feel like we're doing it wrong is because someone at some point told us there's a right way to do it. And, and I've read those books where you have to sit a certain way and you have to have your eyes at a 45 degree angle and, and breathe from one nostril and exhale out the other with the tongue and the roof of your, forget it. Like there's just too much and, and clear your mind. It's impossible. And so people try it a couple of times and then go, forget it. I can't do this. But the success of meditation is in the effort to try and, what I mean by that is if you tell yourself for the next five minutes, I'm just going to sit there and I'm not going to move physically. I'm just not going to move no matter what. I'm not going to try to control my thoughts. I'm not going to try to empty my mind. I'm not going to repeat some mantra in a language I don't understand. I'm just going to try to sit and regardless of what my mind tells me, I'm not going to move. And within seconds, your mind, because you've never trained it to do this, your mind is going to start playing tricks on you. It's going to tell you there's a spider crawling on your head. There's a fly on your nose, that your foot's falling asleep. It'll do anything to try and gain control. But if you set yourself to say, I'm not going to move for the next five minutes, then you're going to observe your mind trying to play tricks on you and you're not going to let it. And the benefit of that is not those five minutes. It's not to tap yourself on the back and go, woohoo, I sat still for five minutes. The benefit is later in the day when you're at work and someone does something annoying and you're like, I can choose not to be annoyed. Like that's a choice that I can make. I can be in a stressful situation, but choose not to be stressed. 
as I said earlier, you can say something offensive to me, but I can choose not to be offended. So it just, this idea of meditation, of mindfulness, it's to take control back and to stop blaming everything and everyone around us for our own behavior. Like no one else is responsible for that. We are. I don't know if that makes any sense. Right. And it's like the same thing as we, I'm driving down the street and somebody cuts me off. And, you know, I mean, road rage is a real thing. People are not getting into that state of, you know, does that really matter? Well, it's not that doesn't matter or not. It's what's the story you have around it. And in both books, I talk a lot about the difference between feelings and emotions. And feelings are perfectly natural. Um, they last between 45 seconds and a minute and a half. And that's it. Feelings are super, super short, and, and, and that's fine. Like, somebody cuts you off and you get upset. That's the natural reaction because you, you were startled, and that's the natural response. But if you're still angry about it three minutes later, 15 minutes later, a day later, that's not a feeling anymore. That's an emotion because what happened when someone cut you off, instead of just getting upset by it and then moving on to the next feeling – you got stuck. You created a story around it, a narrative, like, oh, it's always those jerks and BMWs. And then you have this story about BMWs. And every time you see a BMW, your blood pressure goes up. And, and it could be parked on the side of the road, but it doesn't matter. And, and that's not a feeling anymore. That's an emotion. And I, I constantly say that emotions are the potholes on an otherwise smooth path toward euphoria. And what I mean by that is that the state of of complete serenity, of peacefulness, of calmness is very much within our reach. But, but instead of it being like a really smooth path to bliss, emotions create these huge potholes that we have to crawl out of and we're not realizing we created those narratives, we created those stories with our judgments by saying that's good, that's bad, that's right, and that's wrong. But if we just honor the feeling when it shows up and we're like, I'm... I'm feeling anger right now, as opposed to, again, in our language, I said this earlier, we say things like, I am angry, which is so detrimental to our evolution, because we're identifying who we are with a temporary feeling. We're saying, I am angry, like, this is who I am. And then we start seeing the world through that lens of anger, as opposed to saying, I'm feeling anger right now, which honors the feeling, and it honors the fact that it's so temporary, and it will go away. So adding the words right now at the end of almost every sentence is so crucial. The website again for Timber Hawkeye, you can get, check this out at BuddhistBootCamp.com. We're going to have a link under the show notes, Jusker Radio. I mean, you've got other websites too, but that's a lot of what we're talking about. It's a lot of the trainings you're doing are up at that website, right, Timber? Correct. There's um, on Buddhist Bootcamp, there's the books, there's a podcast. Um, I started um, uploading different podcast episodes and there's much like the book wherein every chapter is only a page long and you can read them in any order. The podcast episodes are like five minutes long. So people tell me that they have a, a really busy day at work. They will just take a break, go outside, listen for five minutes and then go back in with a completely shifted perspective. So um, whether you're in the car um, or, or, wherever um i think be it the book the audiobook the podcast there's youtube video yeah they're all through the website they can get to everything else correct again that's buddhistbootcamp.com we'll have the link under the show notes you just grew radio so timber i, I did want to touch on gratitude <laughs> i love that shirt it's the, you know it's so brilliant for those listening i'm wearing it's it's like a play on gatorade but it says gratitude is it in you and you you know i know it's a lot of what you talk about too so can you Tell us how we can live with more gratitude. Well, the, 
the power of gratitude is that we turn it turns what we already have into enough and and the reason that's so important is because we're living in this constant state of not enough and if you wake up every morning thinking you didn't get enough sleep the night before or that you're not pretty enough or rich enough or successful enough or or skinny enough or pretty enough or whatever it is um, you're focusing your entire, it's, it's on your life on scarcity. And, and it's really because we haven't defined what enough looks like. And if we haven't taken the time to define what enough is, we will never have it. And gratitude, the, the practice of gratitude, not just the thought or the concept, but a daily practice. Like I just published a gratitude journal where every day you're encouraged to write down what you're grateful for, to focus on the positive part of your life. It ties in again to what I was saying earlier, creating a whole new crease, a new behavior pattern where in every situation, instead of thinking what's wrong with the situation, your mind immediately goes to what's right. Like what, it, what do I have in abundance right now? Not what am I lacking? So gratitude turns what we have into enough. And it's important to define what enough is kind of like uh, Gandhi's invitation is for us to his def definition of happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are all in alignment. And it's impossible for us to live in alignment with our values if we haven't defined what our values are. I don't know if that makes sense. Like if you haven't um, indicated, you know, what your core principles are, and it's interesting because companies do that. Companies have it in their, on, on their wall. They have it in their handbooks. They have it sometimes on their products. Like these, this is our vision statement. This is our mission statement. This is the, these are the, the laws we live by, so to speak. But individually, we haven't taken the time to write down what is our vision statement? What are our core values? And if we live in line with our values, if what we think, what you say, and what we do is all in alignment, then we are eliminating the internal conflict. We are never fighting ourselves because we are in agreement. We are living in alignment with our, I don't know if I'm, I'm sounds like I'm repeating myself, but it, to, in that same importance to define what enough looks like, we need to define what our values are. We need to live more mindfully or we will succumb to anything that's happening around us. If we're surrounded by stress, we'll get stressed. If we're if, in the key is not to create an environment where nobody pushes your buttons. It's to work on this so we don't have any buttons that can be pushed. Now, we're coming up on the new year, and you've been doing a lot of work to get the message out and helping so many people. What are your plans for the future, you know, this coming year and, you know, five years down the road? <laughs> I laugh because of what future? Uh, I, you know, it's when we're focused on the future, we, we create anxiety. When we're focused on the past, we live in depression. The only thing we've got, the only moment we've got is right now. So I have no idea where I'm going to be three days from now, let alone five years from now. Um, I had didn't, I never saw myself where I am now. I didn't see this happening. I didn't, if you would have told me five years ago that I'll be giving talks at correctional facilities across the U.S. or that high schools will be using my book, my journal, my private diary as required reading, I would have believed you. There's no way. But I, and it's, much of that is because I'm not doing any of that. Like, it's, I'm just allowing. It's the taking that difference of being so much in control and just taking that, that backseat, not, not a backseat so much, but cre treating it like it, 
if we've all been raised with the idea that there's a, an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other, and we've been aware of this internal dialogue happening, and the important thing is to not identify with either one of them, that I'm not the angel and I'm not the devil. I'm the guy watching them fighting each other. Um, and in fact, the, the movie and the book Fight Club has been so <laughs> instrumental in my life because it takes that concept of the two voices within us that are fighting each other and externalizing them as two different people who are literally beating each other up. And that's resonated with me so much. So I have no idea how to answer your question. Um, my commitment, my vow was to live to be of service to others and what that's going to look like tomorrow. I have absolutely no idea. My job is just to say, yes, if you invite me to do an interview for the Jis guru, I say yes. And if tomorrow I'm invited to do another one somewhere else, my job is to say, well, yes. uh, we're inviting you to come on the show every week is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so really it's about getting out of your own way and allowing, because some people can interpret that to be, you know, maybe I'll just lay around and see what happens, you know. There's a big difference. Like I said, the invitation is to live in line with our values. Mm. And lay, laying down and sitting around and doing nothing, I can't imagine that being in line with our values. Because if you want to be healthy and health is important to you, well, then it's not something that's going to magically be delivered from Amazon in two days. It's something that you need to be actively participating in, in your own health. And what health looks like to you is different than what health looks like to someone else. So it's really important to, again, look within, to take information from others to say, Hey, what does the juice guru say is really good for this and try it out. And it may work and it may not, and it may work for your neighbor, but not for you. And just say, that's useful information. It works. That's useful information. It doesn't work. But knowing what we don't want is equally important to know as what we do want because it's an, equal, it's an equally, equally helpful navigation tool. So, no, it's allowing and this idea of letting go. I, I, I hate for it to be interpreted by, as me suggesting we stick our head in the sand or put our feet up and let, let that, which um, happened happen it's the invitation is not to stick our head in the sand it's it's on the contrary the invitation is to zoom out and look at the big picture because if if you think the world is doomed because you're staring at the situation in a certain part of the world and you're thinking oh my gosh we're doomed um you're think your 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 point of view is limited by the area within which you're focusing on and so that if you zoom out and you look at the big picture Oh my gosh, it's beautiful. It's stunningly gorgeous and, and surprisingly well-balanced. So whenever I feel like out of whack for whatever reason, my first instance to go, I'm too close. I'm staring at it too closely. It's, it's like that mirror that some people have in the, in the bathroom where you flip it over and it's like 10 times magnified. <laughs> Nothing looks good that close up. So I remind myself, flip it over, look at the big picture again. And if it still doesn't look good, take a step back, you know, <laughs> look, keep making the picture bigger until you see how beautifully balanced it is and how everything that's ever happened in your life happened for you, not to you. You're not a victim of anything. You're empowered to change directions and, and move forward because that's you. We're already are moving forward. It's, there's no participation on your part required. <laughs> it's just, you just have to allow to stop resisting, to stop clinging. That's, 
I think that's the best explanation. Yeah, that's that's just an, a phenomenal message. That's great. Um, you know, we're going to close out the radio part of the show. Before we do, and we'll take a couple of questions from the studio audience right after that. If you got a few minutes, Timber, but before we close out on on iHeartRadio here. Um, anything else we didn't touch on or share that's coming to you right now that you wanted to get out to our audience um, as part of your mission or anything that you wanted to just say as final words of advice for those that are looking to live with more mindfulness? It's In Fight Club, he says mindfulness is not a weekend retreat. So um, it's not. It's not something you do one time and say, oh, I'm enlightened. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from Suzuki Roshi is that there are no enlightened beings. There's only enlightened activity. And that was very empowering to me because we tend to think of people as enlightened, whether it be the Dalai Lama or Jesus or the Buddha or Mother Teresa or Gandhi, and we think of them as enlightened beings. But Suzuki says there, there are no enlightened beings. There's only enlightened activity. So the people we perceive as enlightened have simply made enlightened activity part of their daily lives. So when I realized, I was like, well, shoot, I can do that. You know, <laughs> I can make enlightened activity part of my daily life. And we all can. So I think that's, that's really the invitation is for us to, to kind of, I guess, hold ourselves up to a higher standard, so to speak, um, to realize that we have some say in not necessarily what happens around us, but how we respond to what happens around us, that there isn't only one response, even if it's the most um, socially expected response. Um, it's up to us to decide um, how to be because it says that says more about us than what's happening. I don't know if that makes any sense at all. So Absolutely transcending. It's Timber Hawkeye. He's already here on Juice Crew Radio, the website, BuddhistBootCamp.com. Timber, thank you for the work you're doing, for inspiring so many people. And I'm just really excited to have you on our show. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. I appreciate everyone who gets the books, especially because every time you get one, another one is donated to the Prison Library Project. And that's not something that I'm doing. It's something that you guys are doing. So thank you guys so much for doing that. I really appreciate it. And on behalf of all the inmates who send me hundreds of letters, those letters need to be addressed to you, not to me. Um, you guys are the ones who are making it possible. So thank you so much. Awesome. Steve, for a second, we'll see you next time. If there are any questions, go ahead and put them in the chat box. That was transcending. I really meant that. Thank you for that. Um, it's good, like, when you can go through an interview and come in one space and then come out feeling like you're on the other. And if I feel that way, I know you've delivered what you, what, the work that you do. So thank you for that. Daniel wrote in there, love the idea of right now in our language. Namaste. Yes, I think it's, it's so detrimental for us with, with our language saying, we say things like, oh, I have to, I have to go to work tomorrow, I have to pay the electric bill, I have to, you don't have to, you choose to, better yet, you get to. And when we change our language, um, we, we literally change the way we see the world. And um, we don't have to go to work. You choose to, and you go, well, no, I don't. I, I have to pay the mortgage. Well, ask yourself, why do I choose to pay the mortgage on this house? And, and well, because that's what success looks like. I don't want to appear successful to other people. And then you'll get to the core of why you're doing what you're doing. And if you don't like your reasoning, you can change it. <laughs> but first, we need to stop identifying as victims as if we have no say 
and realize I'm choosing this. Now, why am I choosing this? It's just going kind of beyond the power of now in a way by incorporating it in. Yeah. Any other last questions before we close out? Anybody want to come on video with us? You're more than welcome to just by raising your hand. And if not, we're going to let Timber get back and um, hopefully connect with him down the road. It's been great, Timber. Thank you so much for providing this platform and for just sharing it with others. It's really great. Uh, yeah, please keep up the good work. And I can't wait to read the book myself. I'm actually getting my copy tonight off of Amazon. And I hope everyone else is going to get their copy too. If you're part of the Academy, we're going to have a link below this interview for you to pick up your book too. Um, and, you know, we'll have a book club. Well, I'll talk about it. Um, this is going to be the one on my bookshelf. I was going to ask you that because I saw on your website you recommend lots of different books. I, I, I loved your selection. I've read quite a few of them. What's on your, your nightstand right now? Anything else you're recommending? <laughs> I don't keep books. That's um, part of the whole concept of being a minimalist is I read them and I pass them on. There is, however, one book that I, I do always keep, and that's just the copy of the Bhagavad Gita that's always there. Um, but, and that's because I, I read it constantly. Um, I've tried giving it away. That just didn't work. <laughs> so uh, I just, uh, that's, yeah, that's what's going on with me. <laughs> Wendy wrote in, that was great. Thank you. And from everyone else and anyone who hears this in the future, thank you again, Timber. Thank you. Aloha. Aloha. Namaste. Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio. Find out more about us at juiceguru.com. Until next time, get your juice on.